Hey guys, welcome to the Bohoning Soul Podcast. Thanks for joining me again. Okay, so today um, I have a guy by the name of Austin Cantola, and uh, he is the co-owner with his wife of uh, Genesis 3D Printing. And uh, what these guys do is they produce uh, 3D printed, obviously, as the name implies, uh, uh I guess like like clips and keepers and hangers and uh, a variety of other products like a little figure eight uh, like Prusik tenders and um, a bunch of stuff. You just got to go check it out. That is catered to the saddle hunting crowd and the mobile hunting crowd. Now you could probably use these products uh, in 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 any kind of hunting that you do, but again, it's 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 catered towards saddle hunting, mobile hunting, that kind of thing. So he is a uh, an engineer by trade and a lifelong hunter. And uh, when he got into the mobile hunting world, I guess, uh, just, you know, not, not too long ago, you know, several years ago, but he kind of transitioned from uh, the, the family, kind of like the family farm, uh, you know, typical like pre-hung tree stands and nailed together tree stands kind of thing. He, he, he progressed into uh, being a little bit more mobile, a little bit lighter. Um, he, he's a guy that seems like he wants to solve problems okay like any good engineer I guess or any good entrepreneur he wanted to solve a problem and, and originally the problem was hey all the stuff I'm carrying is just too big and bulky as far as like you know climbers and, and big big uh, you know hang on tree stands and this and that and he gravitated toward lighter and lighter more mobile more agile uh, saddle hunting and then once he got the saddle hunting he's like okay well there's all these associated ropes and and, and sticks and things we got to carry uh, we need a way to address either carrying those or attaching those or uh, containing those things and uh, his mind went to work and he came up with you know a whole, whole bunch of very cool products that he uh, that he 3d prints and he made a business out of it so um, this guy is working really really hard uh, so is, I don't say just him so is his wife they uh, I've been trying to get um, him on the podcast for several weeks now and he's just been slammed um, you know, day job and then, you know, evening working on, 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 uh, Genesis 3d printing. So that's fantastic to hear. I love hearing that. I love hearing, uh, you know, the hard work and, uh, the entrepreneurial spirit. I know I've been talking about that a lot lately, but it just, it, it makes me feel good. So, um, anyway, super cool guy, uh, very smart, very, you know, go getter. And, uh, you know, he's put out a lot of very cool products and uh, more coming down the pipe. So I had a really good conversation with him. We geek out a little bit, and I knew almost next to nothing about 3D printing. So I asked him some questions about uh, just how the process works and, and you know, just what's involved and that kind of thing. So if you guys are really interested in that kind of stuff, go check out YouTube. I'm going to go check out some more YouTube videos on, on 3D printing, exactly how, uh, exactly how it works, um, even more in-depth than we went into um, on, this, on this episode. And uh, yeah, so check out uh, Genesis 3D Printing. It's genesis3dprinting.com. The three is the number three. Uh, that's their website. They're on Instagram. They're on YouTube, all Genesis 3D Printing. So go, go check these guys out. Go give them a follow. Very, very cool products. If you're a saddle hunter, tell a friend. Um, and uh, yeah, other than that, also make sure you follow Bohoning Soul. I've uh, been putting out some you know, videos again lately, uh, got some, you know, pretty cool stuff out there. Uh, I'm going to put some more out there, obviously, as we're getting in the season, it's about a week away from season. By the time you hear this, my season will have started. So I don't know how many, if I will have gotten out by this time or not, but, uh, this will come out like mid September. So, uh, also if you're into any kind of products like this, be sure to go and check them out and get orders quick because he slammed, 
Um, just like anytime we get into hunting season and it's hunting related products, uh, you're always going to deal with, you know, potential shortages and shipping times and delays and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, but it's, I'm, I'm, I'm ordering as we speak, I'm going to order, um, a couple of the, uh, the, uh, the tether tenders, which I'm hoping to, uh, do double duty as a, a bow hanger and a, uh, pack hanger. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, you got to listen to the episode and go check out the website. So anyway, um, with that said, I'm not going to babble anymore. Here is my interview. Sorry, got cut out there for a second. I, I got a uh, I got a phone call in there. As I was saying, I had to delete that part. So anyway, here is my interview with Austin Cantola of uh, Genesis 3D Printing. There we go. Cool. So uh, Austin... Cantola, right? Yep. Yes, I finally nailed and, it. I always and, get people's last names wrong. <laughs> is your is your first name Emra? It is. It's Emra. Yep. It's pronounced Emra. Okay. Yep. So uh, you are the owner, or I, mean, I don't know if it's owner or co-owner, because I know it's you and your wife, but it's 3D Genesis Printing, correct? Uh, Genesis 3D Printing, and Genesis. it is it is a co-ownership. <laughs> okay. Um, and. Thanks for taking the time with me, by the way. We're doing this midday. You're doing it in a, uh, in a, in a conference room that was hard to come by at your job, <laughs> at, mm-hmm. your, at your normal day job. So I appreciate you doing that. Um, I'm not going to try and keep you on here for too long, but um, can you kind of just kind of go into like really quick, uh, like a high level overview of what uh, Genesis 3D printing does? And then I want to kind of back up and just kind of go through your, um, uh, y- y- like your, your hunting history, uh, you know, where you hunt, how you hunt, and then how you came up with this company and then the products that, uh, that, that you guys, uh, are, are coming out with. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Genesis 3d printing, uh, was founded based on, uh, just the concept of me wanting to, uh, make my mobile hunting setup a little, uh, more efficient. Uh, so I started making some designs for myself, uh, designing them up and then 3d printing just, just to try to improve uh, upon my existing setup and then also shaving a few dollars here and there because uh, I was cheap or uh, straight out of college and didn't have a lot of money to spend on some of the things that were available in, on the market. So started like that, um, just started printing stuff for myself, things that I thought would be helpful for me, and then uh, started to see that there was a need from the mobile hunting community, primarily saddle hunting. Um, so started to fire up a few designs for, uh, the community and just kind of reached out and said, Hey, would anybody be interested in this? And then it kind of just took off from there. Um, so the, the whole thought behind Genesis 3d printing is to just kind of come up with different ideas, different concepts, different designs, products, whatever you want to call it to help aid guys who are going on public land or even on private, but, or setting up a new set every time and just trying to make you uh, that much quicker, quieter, and more efficient in your setup. So um, it's my wife and I that run the business, and um, we are we are busy, busy, busy. So <laughs> yeah, um, we've recently just started kind of communicating in the past. I don't know, a week or two or whatever, um, maybe a little bit more, but yeah, it hasn't been too long. And yeah, you were. <laughs> it sounds like you're just slammed uh, late at mm-hmm. night into the night, kind of trying to do this, which is awesome to hear i love hearing that um now you're in michigan right that's correct yep okay uh big um hunting history for you hunting family or uh what what was your uh kind of heritage there yeah so my dad's side of our my family so the cantolas um 
he is one of five brothers and they grew up uh pretty much hunting their whole life um born on a pig farm um and were able to go to a uh hunting camp up in the up what we call the upper peninsula um so there we have like i think it's almost 600 acres up there um that our family goes up and you it's just kind of a opportunity to get up there together and just kind of gun hunt and whatnot um so it's just kind of been in the the blood of our family forever and even on my mom's side my my grandpa hunts and my great grandpa hunted a little bit too um and whatnot so it's kind of been one of those things like i've been just surrounded by it so it's like hard not to fall in love with it it's the same as like a kid playing a sport that their father used to play or their mom used to play and just kind of becomes part of you um so i would say not till i graduated college though i started finding uh I don't know, my passion for um, hunting, uh, my dad and I, and even my brother, uh, we primarily only bow hunt. Um, and that's just because we, I don't know, my dad only bow hunted. So I, I pretty much just kind of adopted his ways and his, his passions for bow hunting. And I, I don't know, I've shot a few deer with a gun and I, I don't discredit anybody that does it. Um, <clears throat> it's just more, I just, I just love taking a, taking a deer with a stick and string kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how um, how old were you when you first when you first got your uh, your first deer? I guess was it a deer camp or was it uh, somewhere else? Or no, it was actually it was actually right behind our house. So my dad was fortunate enough to um, have some property when he uh, graduated college and got married and working a deal out with my grandpa, who's a farmer. Um, he he purchased about forty acres and right behind his house. Um, I harvested my first deer. I think it was like a seven point, if I remember right. Yeah, it was a seven point uh, with a bow, and it was unreal, unreal, because that deer, um, and I have plenty of stories where a deer comes in, and my dad's sitting like 50 yards from me, and this, sure enough, this buck comes in between my dad and I, and I let one rip on him, and deer went maybe 100 yards and piled up, so it was, <laughs> it was definitely something to remember. And he got to see it, of course. Yeah, yep. Yeah, those, those are, those are cool memories, so um, are you, um, uh, are you, are you now, like how often do you get to hunt? I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Are you, are you still mm-hmm. kind of limited in, in, in hunting time or, uh, are you pretty much like in the woods as, as much as you can or how does that work out for you? Well, um, <clears throat> I think like anybody, they want to be in the woods more <laughs> than they actually get to be in the woods. At least I, I feel like when I talk to friends and family that hunt and whatnot, but I would say last year was a little adjusting. Uh, it was different because I was so focused on trying to get new products out for guys and testing them out, making sure they worked and whatnot. So I didn't spend as much time in the woods last year than what I've done in the past. Um, so I, my wife and I kind of talked about that a lot this year leading up to the season. She's been super, super helpful with the Genesis stuff and her goal, um, when she said it out loud and I didn't, I didn't make her say this. Uh, <laughs> she said, my goal is to make it so you can be hunting more and not having to worry about the day-to-day stuff of this um, mm-hmm. business and whatnot, which is really cool. Um, so I would say, I don't know, I try to get out. I try to time it right and whatnot. And I think the best time to be in the woods is anytime you can get in the woods. So I try to do at least once a week if I can fit it, but sometimes I can get two or three times if I'm lucky. But it's just hard with doing it. My wife also has her own small business. Um, she does some sewing projects. Uh, she sews like headbands and stuff. So we we have a lot on her plate. <laughs> 
Yeah, it sounds like it. I was visiting your uh, um, you know, your website there, and it kind of goes through like the about us. So it kind of gives you the kind of like the background of, uh, you know, just two entrepreneurs just kind of, you know, just trying to make it happen. So that's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 under, I understand. I'm kind of in the same boat as far as um, time-wise, you know, so I feel your pain. You know, I might get out <laughs> once a week. I might maybe get out twice a week sometimes, but it's if, if I always feel like I'm, even when I'm out, like I'm rushed for time. Or, um, you know, if I kind of feel guilty about, you know, be, being out till a certain time and I'm, I'm really not able to get like the full, like full afternoon sit or full like morning sit or all day or whatever it is, you know what I mean? But I just, I just kind of tried to do the best I can. That's, that's all, that's all I can do. I guess it's better than not being out, you know, it's better than sitting on the couch, I suppose. But, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel Absolutely. you on that one. <laughs> feel you on that one. Um, so you've got this rich heritage of of hunting. Um, when you were growing up, I'm guessing like the mobile thing wasn't really happening, right? You're you're not you're not. I mean, you're a pretty younger guy, but still. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the the mobile thing really wasn't a thing. It wasn't this popular. So I'm guessing when you were hunting, you know, family property and and things like that, it was uh, what like uh, pre hung you know, tree stands, uh, like lock on tree stands or, or, uh, ladder yeah. stands and things like that. Right. I mean, yep. was it one of those where everyone kind of has their own stand or were you able to kind of move around and, and, uh, kind of do the mobile thing? Yeah. It just depends. Um, like behind our house, it was just my dad, my brother and I, and sometimes my sister. Um, so we had a lot of room to move around and kind of pick and choose our stand. Um, our stands were made out of like <laughs> two by sixes, two by fours, four by fours, stuff like that, that my dad just was able to scrounge around and wasn't, the prices of lumber weren't as crazy as they are right now. So, um, yeah, it just, it was kind of something like that when we went up to, when we'd go up to hunting camp and it still is to this day, there's, there's like 15 guys that go up there potentially on an opener, um, for gun season for us, rifle season. And so in that situation, it's kind of a, you have your spot and you sit in your stand and you sit there all day and you then go up and go to sleep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it's different. It just depends on the property. But from a young age, I think my dad was very open with different stands and he liked to bounce around a lot. I remember vividly remember like sitting on the ground with him when I was too young to even hunt and I just wanted to go with him. And so we found a spot in the woods and we just sat there and we, we, I vividly remember deer coming in, to us and we didn't get a shot at anything because i was maybe like eight years old six years old something like that mm-hmm. and so he he just went out there just to go hunt and be in the woods with me um but yeah it mobile hunting is something that i haven't started doing till i graduated um college i'm kind of bummed i didn't do it while i was in college because where i was at in michigan there's plenty of public land um once you get into like north of Grand Rapids. I don't know how, how familiar you are. Your listeners listeners will be with Michigan, but north of Grand Rapids, it's like public land everywhere, which is awesome. Mm. So, so then, uh, what 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 kind of got you into that style of hunting then after uh, after not doing that? I mean, was it um, mm-hmm. uh, a desire to kind of go and check out some more public spots, or did you did you start doing this on on private land as well? Um, so initially it started, um, with the idea that we, we would go down to Missouri or I would, I'd tag along with my cousins, um, who hunted down there at first, they hunted public land only started talking to some people that lived down there, made a connection and they found a property where a guy, um, 
leased it out to them pretty much. And it was a very reasonable lease, like as in like they're pretty much friends and they worked out a deal and they ended up selling that property. It, after three years of having it on the market, somebody bought it and turned it into a whitetail haven or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were kind of bummed and whatnot, but it kind of forced our hand into going for them to go back to the public land. That was my first opportunity to put, hunt public land. And I was like, okay, well, I can't like walk into a woods with a climber or a uh, ladder stand because if you've ever hunted in Missouri, which where our lease was or the property we hunted, there's not a straight tree in the woods and it's pretty gnarly, it seems like. So I quickly jumped on uh, the internet and started researching the lightest tree stand carry because I was I was probably 160, 170 pounds tiny and I just didn't feel comfortable lugging around a tree stand on my back. Um, and started, I found a muddy something I can't advantage or something, um, tried that out. And I was like, Oh my goodness, I am dying. I practiced on our property behind our house that season. And I was like, this is the worst. Like, how can guys do this? And then I, I, I literally, I don't remember how, what I Googled exactly, but, um, it was something along the lines of the lightest possible way to hunt public land or something like that. And a tree saddle thing came up and so it was like saddle hunting it was a form the saddle hunting form so then i started like looking through that and that was when there was like trophy line and arrow hunter and tethered and i was like okay well this may work and i was super intrigued by it um and then ended up buying a mantis used from a guy and tried that out in missouri and it would there was some uh discomfort wearing it but I, d- I didn't know if that was due to me not being so familiar with saddle hunting or the fact that the, the thing just didn't fit me well. But I knew, like, going forward, this was how I was going to mobile hunt was in a saddle. But I knew I had to fine-tune some stuff because I, I literally 3D printed my climbing sticks and 3D printed my standoff brackets for my platform. So. <laughs> so, so even back then, in the beginning, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm going to try and solve a problem. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what any good business does. They try to solve a problem. And you're like, man, (laughs) we, 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 we need to work on this. Like were were the sticks that you had at the time, like not, not working or they they just weren't as as packable as you wanted them to be. Or or what was, what was the issue on the stick side that you said, that you said, because, because, because it's a hell of a thing to to do, right? I mean, I can understand um, doing like smaller, you know, attachment pieces, that kind of thing, but you went right to the sticks. What made you do that? Um, I would say, uh, You're talking about the sticks I used when I 3D printed them? or Yes, yep, yep. So how they were made is some scrap aluminum, uh, 80-20 um, extruded aluminum, and I just basically 3D printed the standoffs for it. The steps were uh, aluminum that I bolted on there um, and whatnot. And I, the reason why I went away from them was there was much better designs out there than mine. Uh, mine was made out of the cheapest way I could get sticks in my hands. Um, so those worked, but I knew like there was the sticks that I could have designed and made my own. I would have had to pay two or three times more than what the market was having, uh, at the uh, readily available at the time. So what, what made me go away from was more of the fact that I can find lighter, um, sticks that packed similarly because these sticks laid flat like you ever have you seen like the lone wolf custom gear double sticks sap sticks yeah they literally they lay at like tubing to tubing they laid right on top of each other um 
So I designed and, and that's this. why you decided to do that because there wasn't anything on the market yet that want was as packable. Um, yeah, you know what that, I mean? yeah, that and cost. I think the cost was a big thing why okay. I, I stuck with the sticks I made. And then the yep. following year I upgraded to it. Uh, I think I don't even remember what I upgraded to maybe B sticks or something. It's been, it's been so long now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you're, you're an engineer by trade, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. uh, is the stuff that you do at work related to this kind of thing or just, um, it, it's just something that you decided to get into, had an interest in as far as 3d printing goes and is, is, I mean, am I, am I going down the wrong path or does it have anything to do with, with your job and your background or, or no? Well, yeah. So it has plenty to do with my background. Cause I went to school for mechanical engineering, uh, technology at Fair state university and, um, got a degree in that and had a very strong passion for designing things. Um, at my day job, um, where I work initially, it didn't have anything to do with what I did, um, because I was a quality engineering manager. Um, I had a team of three people and we worked on parts that get returned from our customer and diagnosing them and recausing them and whatnot. Um, so initially it started as like, Hey, I don't have, I'm not using my engineering skills that I have went to school for. And I'm kind of like, I, I love that stuff. So I, I kind of found the, the void needed to be filled as per se. And I started just kind of tinkering around with different designs and whatnot. So now um, I'm in a process engineering role, so I work hand-in-hand with machines that we design and build and release to the floor and kind of troubleshooting them and then fine-tuning them and designing different things to make them even better. So now I'm definitely using my degree more in my my 3D printing uh, technology or whatever. Um, I actually I use it in my day job and at my um, for Genesis stuff now, too. So you kind of had a head start on knowing what you were doing with this stuff, right? Um, and you've got the, the, the head for, I guess, designing and, you know, kind of seeing an end product in, in your mind and, and, and kind of getting there. So, um, you start off making these sticks, you said, or at least the, um, the stand, <clears throat> excuse me, the standoffs for the sticks. And then you assembled your own sticks, went away from them. And then, but, but by, by that time now, did, um, did you get enough experience with, uh, either that saddle or other saddles and mobile to be like, okay, I'm definitely sticking with this. And I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to, uh, going down this, this, this path of maybe trying to create some products for, mm-hmm. for, for, for saddle hunting, mobile hunting. Oh yeah. The, the turning point for me was when I was walking on public land with my cousins and I have one cousin who's very particular about like his setup and he's just a very organized person. Um, he's like the complete opposite of me. Um, and so like watching him go through the woods, it, there was a method to his madness, but he has a, a tree stand and muddy sticks, muddy pro sticks. And he's just, it's a lot of weight and whatnot. But then I have my other cousin who's very similar to me. He's actually an engineer. He works with me, um, at the company I work for. And he, at that time he was carrying a full like lone wolf, uh, tree stand with Hawk helium sticks and like a really big backpack with a bunch of stuff in it. And I'm just like, I'm watching him brush, uh, blow through brush piles and whatnot as we're trying to get to the spot we want to hunt. And we're in the thickest, nastiest stuff. And at that point, as I'm walking through it and I'm like barely sweating and watching him like really struggle, that was my turning point of like, okay, this is definitely worth it. Um, and there needs to be some improvements made to my setup to make it even better. Um, so it's funny now my cousin that was, 
carrying that tree stand. He he's a pretty it seems like a pretty big saddle hunter, um, and he's always talking to me about hunting and gear and stuff like that and whatnot. And it's it's one of those things like I think when you see it on both sides of the coin, you're just like, okay, this makes sense. And that's, and that's part of why I started making products. Cause I, this was something I wanted to do full time for mobile hunting. And I, I, I don't know in my head and maybe in your head too, it's like, why am I going to struggle through this? If I know there's a better solution for yeah. my setup. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then what came along next then? What, what was, what was the next step after that? You kind of had this epiphany like, okay, I'm going to start mm-hmm. creating more stuff. This is obviously working, uh, at least for you, it's working better. What, what was the next step? Um, so the next step was, uh, looking at trying to make my Lyman rope and tether, um, more functional. So that darn Prusik on there is a really pain in the butt to move sometimes when it really locks up. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was a little too cheap, like I mentioned before. I didn't want to go spend, I think it was like 45, 50 bucks at the time for a ropeman um, and a sender. And I was like, there's got to be an easier way. And I think, I can't remember how I saw it, but it, I saw something on an arborist form. Oh, it was like a pulley system. And I was like, man, that is genius. Like something that just pushes your friction hitch to kind of loosen it up and move it up the rope. Um, one handed and I was like, okay, that's something. And then I started designing some small little, I call them figurators now. Um, at the time I just, I called them a tender and whatnot. So I started designing those up and I was like, okay, this works. And I started sharing it with people and people were all about it. And I remember I, I, I was kind of posting about it on social media while I was right before I went down to Missouri for a public land hunt that year. And the whole time I was down there, people were just messaging me on Facebook left and right, just saying, Hey, can I get one of these? Can I get one of these? And I was like, okay, yeah, definitely. So that's kind of how it, I would say that's how Genesis started um, because that was the first product that I started to sell to guys to basically remove the need to, as, to have a mechanical ascender. Um, saves guys about <laughs> a four for, uh, yeah, about four for the cost to buy one of the figurators that I have, I think. So descri- the, the, describe the figurator. What, what, uh, yeah. So I have two different variants um, of it. So there's one that works for the Prusik hitch. It's basically uh, a plastic piece with two holes on it. Um, one hole goes on your carabiner. The other hole, you run your rope through it. Your tag end of your rope goes through it. And then it gets right below your hitch. And so what you can do, same as like uh, Ropeman 1, when you pull on the tag end with your arm or hand, when you pull on it, it's going to push that 3D printed figurator up into the hitch and it's just going to push the hitch up the rope so it it removes the need to use two hands or to take the really a bunch of slack out of your system to try to loosen that hitch up it yep. does that for you um so i have one for a stick hitch and then i have one and i don't know how to say the name of this hitch apparently i say it wrong every time swabish or swabish hitch yep. and then it also works for a distal hitch so that I even, one i even heard swabish the other day that's the first time <laughs> i heard swabish i'm like oh man i've been you know so i don't i don't know yeah. how to say it either <laughs> it's funny because i i think i know like spencer uh yes Varelli, spencer, um, he, yep yep he says he, he's on my yeah he's on my field staff and i heard him say it one time in one of his videos i messaged him i was like that's not how you pronounce it is it because i've been saying it wrong this whole time <laughs> yeah, that, that's the guy. That, yeah, Spencer's the one I heard <laughs> saying it that way. I'm like, oh, man, now I really don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, so I started with figurators. And then after that, um, 
I started Genesis up full time, like as in an LLC, um, in January of 2020, um, perfect time right before COVID to start up a small business. And, yeah, perfect, uh, right? <laughs> yeah so started selling those and then started working on a bow hanger design, um, uh, was really targeting a bow hanger that would work for any type of hanger system. Um, there wasn't an, anything on the market at the time that I knew of that worked for like the tether hisstrap. Um, I think that's how they pronounce it. Um, a paracord ansel daisy chain or one inch webbing or whatever. Um, so I, I was trying to come up with a bow hanger design that would work for all those, but I wanted it to be, uh, I wanted it to pivot so it could fold up and fit in your dump pouch or your pocket really easily. And I wanted it to, uh, continue with like the rigidity of the parts that I had for like figure eight or so I didn't, I didn't want it to be like plastic. Like everybody thinks like a thin plastic that would just bend. Um, and you can kind of see that with some injection moldable, uh, ABS parts. Um, I, I wanted something that was a little bit more stiff and rigid. So that's, that's kind of how I started with the bow hanger design and it's been <laughs> very, very, uh, good that I can't ever really keep them in stock. It seems like. Yeah, um, I'm on your website now. I'm kind of uh, flipping through here. So the figure eight, a figure eight I've heard, I've heard of for a long time, um, but it, I mean, people just have to go check it out. And by the way, it's it's uh, it's Genesis three, as in you know the number three D printing dot com, um, and you know you'll you'll go through all the um, uh, d different products and stuff that you, that you have on that on the figure eight. Or do you? Um, I, I see the picture here. It's on Oplux, right? And I use Oplux. Mm -hmm. um, and it looks like six millimeter cordelette there for the Beal cordelette. So, are are you finding that 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 works on? I haven't tried it. I've tried other tenders on that because I don't use a rope man either. I I do I do Prusik, um, and it is very difficult to adjust once once you're uh, tensioned up. You know, um, I find that it, uh, it it's very very hard to move. Is there rope sizes that that you find that are kind of easier to do and undo that or or, or tend that that Prusik? Um, um, I would say the smaller the diameter works better, I've found, um, but it, they still all work. Um, one thing I've really found is, and I was talking to a few of my field staff about it, because I'm, I'm working through making sure all my equipment's ready for the season and whatnot, and I was looking at my Oplux rope, and it was getting kind of gummy, uh, and I didn't know if it was because of the Oplux or because of that 5.5 Beal uh, uh, Kevlar material for my my hitch and I kind of sent a message out to them and said hey have you guys inspected your ropes this season yet and just see like what they're looking like um, and I, I actually found that most of them actually found their op looks was starting to wear a lot faster than others so I, I think it works well on any type of diameter I think it works a little bit better on the smaller diameter um, but that's just because I think that it doesn't have as much surface area like kind of grabbing onto the rope um but it still works for like your samson predator ropes and stuff like that and like the 11 millimeter ropes um so it it's just one of those things i think and i've had a few guys message me like what you're saying like hey this not as moving as freely as i expected it to um and i kind of go through like i said send me some pictures and most of the time i try to get like talk to them on the phone because that usually we can resolve it a little bit quicker um, but most of the time it's just the ropes are old and they just need to be replaced, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I do see that you have that. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say Schwabish. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it is it is a Schwabish on, on that one. So yeah, it's uh, like nothing's perfect, right? I mean, we have all these uh, different ways of doing things, but like everything is kind of just you can. I, I'm I'm convinced you can only get to a certain level of like ease with certain things until it's like okay you got what you got you know so i'm kind of like stuck on okay well i, I don't want to use a rope man i don't have um uh what's the other one the uh, uh the one oh, that's, Kong Duck. Uh, yeah not the well yeah i had that too before but anyway um any, any kind of like ascender descender belay whatever mm-hmm. device i'm just like okay well i'm just gonna stick with, with what i got but um there's a few other products in here that I that I wanted to get to. So that figurator was one of them. The gear hanger, we just I'm, I'm looking at right now. We were just kind of talking about it. Um, do you? Um, and maybe we can get into this when we actually get into like 3D printing. So I want you to talk about the process a little bit. But but these um, products, right? They're designed mm-hmm. to work in hot conditions uh, and very very cold conditions. And there's always like a flag that kind of goes up with me when I see any kind of and and for, forgive the term, it's my term, quote unquote, plastic parts, right? <laughs> um, in like really cold conditions, right? I mean, you're in Michigan, I'm in Minnesota. Um, sometimes you know we're out there like you know minus minus ten degrees or whatever, like really really cold. Um, how does this stuff uh, hold up? Number one. And is there a way for you to even like to, to test like the breaking strength and, and snapping strength of some of these things uh, in those cold conditions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, the best way I can explain this is the materials that I use are the same materials that are going to be in your vehicle. Like ABS um, is a very common material that you'll see all over inside your vehicle and on the outside of your vehicle, too. Um, it's very resistant to UV. It's... Uh, very resistant to heat, to cold, everything. So um, it's a very strong material. It actually will flex before it starts to like crack or whatnot. <clears throat> so it'll, it'll, the plastic will stretch before it shatters is pretty much a fracture. Um, so that's that's the one of the materials I use. And so it, it can handle, and I purposely use materials that are designed to be in an environment that we're hunting in. Um, I don't there are 3D printed materials that you can use, and they're made from like sugar or corn. They call it PLA. Uh, that is not designed to be outdoors, but it's it's very easy to print with that material. Like <laughs> you pretty much can't 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 screw it up, kind of thing. So, but that is not a material that should be used, um, and that I I won't I won't uh, sacrifice the ease of printing parts to use that material. Um, so another material that I use is called uh, PETG, um, and that material is actually like what you see, like your water bottles are made out of and stuff like that. So they're actually designed to kind of vary in temperatures and stuff like that and be resistant to the UV um, and even to um, just cold and heat and whatnot. So, um, yeah, those are the two materials. I also use a material called ASA. It's identical to ABS pretty much, but it has more UV resistance in it. So that's another material that I play around with. But yeah, I think that's the hardest thing to get get past guys is like, hey, yeah, these are plastic, but I have done some testing on them. Um, the testing I've done is like through an Instron, which is literally it measures the force that it's putting on a part and then it tells you the distance that it displaced that part. Um, and you can see basically like a stress and strain curve is what they call it so you can mm-hmm. see how much force you put on it before it basically snapped or how far it moved and like the bow hangers like the one i was talking about earlier it has a pin in it and pivots 
Um, I have, I, like when I tested those, I tested it up to 50 pounds on an Instron and nothing, it just bent and touched the build tip plate and then it came back up. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. And, and like I've, I've thrown parts in my freezer or even a freezer, um, that's designed for testing and stuff like that and tested it out and had no issues. So, yeah. So any condition that you and I are, or pretty much anyone's likely to be hunting in, um, is, is, is probably not going to fail unless you, unless no. you abuse it. So, so, and, and some, yeah. some, you know, strange way and, or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, there was, uh, what was the other one on here that we were, I was talking with, uh, Dano, I had him, I had him on, I think it was mm-hmm. the last episode Oh no previous episode. And, um, he, we were talking about the, it is the, the tether assist. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, the tether assist hooks. I'm going to let you explain the tether assist hooks and <laughs> why, why, why they're important. Yeah. So the tether assist hooks kind of originated because Matt Garris from Out on Limb, him and I, him and I talk frequently. We talked more um, when I first started because he was just giving me some wisdom on the market and just how to um, go about making outdoor industry products, kind of thing. And he saw something on Facebook and he's like, "You gotta work. You gotta see this, man. You can come up with something to fix this." And it was actually a guy on the saddle hunting forum. His name was Redbeard, I believe. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on the name, which I hope he listens to this mess- this uh, podcast and messages me um, and says, why didn't you remember my name? Um, <laughs> but he he was one sticking with a scout solo platform and he was showing guys this up and he was using zip ties um, to do basically what the tether assist hooks do. And basically what it is, is it's two hooks that get um, your tether or your rappel line basically threads through them. Um, and you use these hooks to basically shimmy your rope or your tether up the tree as you climb. Um, so what guys have done in the past, if they don't use the hooks, is they just grab the rope and they pull it up the tree. But you put your fingers between the rope and the tree. And if some situation like we've all been out in the woods and it's wet or whatever, you slip and your fingers between the rope and the tree and you fall, all that weight is now holding your fingers between or pinching them between the rope and the tree. So the tether assist hooks are one to make it easier to move your rope up and down the tree. It makes it safer. Um, and then also if you use like a stopper knot or something to lock your tether into place, you can use them as like your hangers or bow hangers or whatnot. Right. Um, yeah, perfect, perfect description. And I, I mean, I'm guilty in not actually having even, th- I mean, I, I, I saw that that thread, I think, or I, I see a, I saw a thread where somebody was talking about how they got trapped or maybe it wasn't both both thumbs or something. But mm-hmm. either way, it's easy to see how that could happen. And if, in, you don't want to be hanging on your weight, your entire weight hanging by your thumbs. That's that's uh, no. so I'm definitely going to be ordering um, a, a set of these for me when we're done, actually, uh, maybe a couple other things, too. But, um, yeah, so this one, you're basically uh, they, they look like I mean, they just like kind of hangers too they look like little hooks yeah but your rope goes through them and as you're you, you grab the outside of the basically hook part and you're moving that up instead of actually touching the rope right and it exactly. gives you a little more leverage to kind of you know pull the rope open and, and shimmy it up too so that's a great idea i know guys use um uh i don't know anything from paracord to you know w- whatever but mm-hmm. this seems to uh this seems to be pretty sweet now have you um I was asking Dan all this about this product, and but I'm going to ask you directly. My my thought was, okay, well, if I if I get these, that might be able to do double duty as a hanger, either as like a bow hanger once it's up there, or as a um, hanger for a pack 
you know, so I don't have to have like an extra strap. I could just use, hang it off this. Now, do you find it, it supports the weight of that or does it tend to kind of want to bring the tether down? Like if you, um, <clears throat> if you, you know, if you, if you stand up a little bit, let's say on your platform and you unweight, unweight your tether, um, does that tend to kind of bring it down or can you, can, can it do double duty, I guess? Yeah, it, it can. Um, it just depends. You need to have something that locks your tether so it doesn't slide down. So there's different ways you can do that. Nightize gear tire, you can girth hitch it through there twice um, or whatnot. So as long as you have something to keep your tether to not feed back through the, the sewn eye or the tied eye or whatever you want to call it, yeah. Um, then you should be fine. I, I ran it last year with no problem. Um, I actually... When I was working with the design on the design with Redbeard, I'd send them some samples and say, "Hey, let me know what you think of these." Um, I actually designed a bow hanger um, that does that same thing. He actually uses two bow hangers and t- instead of two t- tethers, his hooks to basically pull his rope up the tree. Um, a little easier to grab because you can grab the whole bow hanger itself and move it up the tree. Um, yep, I'm looking at it right you, now. Yeah. And then you can actually use that as a bow hanger when you get there. So, um, no, it, it, it should be plenty fine um with with the help of him i I think we we came out with a a product that solves that but the only downside is i don't have a solution to keep your tether locked in the tree yet so um yeah that that's that's the only hiccup with the design i would say right now right right okay yeah um, and, and, and there are ways, I think we were talking about it too. There, there are ways to keep, to keep your, it's you, basically, you just don't want, it's not going to come down if you don't allow the, uh, the loop to kind of open up, you know, and it's not, and we're not, and we're not talking under tension. It's not going to happen under tension, but if you, yeah. like I said, if you kind of stand up a little bit to shuffle around, or if you take your, uh, the weight off the tether, then if there's no, uh, if there's nothing keeping that, that loop um, cinched up against, the, or, or at least the, the rope that comes through, the tag end that comes through the loop, uh, from kind of loosening up. If it doesn't loosen up, it doesn't come down. I don't think it's going to be a problem. So, um, and you know, in, in my case too, I use, um, uh, like I, I, I use two tethers, right? I, I hang with two tethers, two, two tethers up there just for, just for safety. So, um, of course one ends up being stacked on top of the other. So I think if I use one, you know, and have one below it, then it prevents the one above it from coming down as easily. It's just a little more friction. So I think I can kind of make mm-hmm. that work. I'm going to try that. And that's the fun part about this too. I mean, you, you, you just, you know, pe- not just you, but everyone designs all these cool things now for, um, uh, you know, saddle hunting, mobile hunting, that kind of stuff. And, it's just kind of tailoring this piece of equipment or that piece of equipment to what you want to do. Do you want to carry extra stuff? Do you want to, can you eliminate certain things? Can certain things do double duty? And this seems like it can be potentially doing double duty, which is always, always a, a, a bonus in my book. Just so, you know, cause we're to carry enough stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. I want to get into a little bit of, um, a 3d printing in general. Okay. Like the concept of 3d, uh, 3d printing. Um, I, I, I've seen a couple things here and there about how it's done. I know like a lots of people do it now. Um, but can you kind of just go over the, um, the, the concept of it, how the, how the printing actually works, what happens maybe without getting like too much into the chemistry or molecular level or whatever, <laughs> but, 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 but overall deeper than just like, Hey, it just magically appears. You know what I mean? Kind of talk mm-hmm. about that. And then, um, maybe like the limitations of, of, of 3d, of 3d printing if, if there are any, so I'll, I'll leave it yeah. up to you. Yeah. So, um, 
with 3D printing, it always starts with a design. So use any design software you want. You can spend the big bucks and buy a, a software called SolidWorks, or you can basically use a free version that's on, online. It's called SketchUp or Tinkercad or any of these things. There's a lot of different ways you can make a design. So you make a design, and mm-hmm. then you take that solid um, CAD file and you convert it to uh, an STL file is what they call it. Um, from there, then you can bring it into a G-code generator or a slicer, what they call it. Um, and that starts to create your um, your file that can be 3D printed. So with 3D printing, um, it basically how I, the best way I've found to describe this, take a hot glue gun, put it on a bracket, and then hook it up to some motors. And then you're basically extruding hot plastic in a very precise manner. Um, so each plastic that you use, uh, you want to find out what the melting temperature is, uh, and that's what you're going to target as your temperature. You're going to hold that um, that uh, hot end is what they call it. So hot end is your glue gun, and then you have a bunch of motors that tell it, okay, I'm going to move it to this position, to this position, to this position, and have this much plastic flow out of it. Um, and then retract and stuff. There's there's so many different settings you can do, but basically the best way to look at 3D printing is a hot glue gun that is precisely controlled. Um, so and that's and that's where when I was talking about that slicing software, um, you mm-hmm. you basically create G code, and it's the same kind of concept that we use um, for CNC machines and stuff like that. You're creating a G code that tells basically the machine I need to go to this X Y Z position. And I need to do it this fast and at this moment and whatnot. So there's a lot of different other different settings in there. Um, the cool thing is that it's all open source. So there's a lot of people that have developed this um, working uh, together to not make a profit to an extent off of. Um, but they, it's it's really cool to see where 3D printing started because um, I bought my first 3D printer when I was in college. And to see where it's at now and I was... Shoot, that was seven years ago, and it's just blown up. It's unreal. Is it something that um, the average person can kind of be like, hey, I'm interested in, like, you're dabbling into this, right, and then go buy a 3D printer? Um, or do they have to have, like, a little more education behind it? And to actually put out anything quality, uh, is the equipment that you're using, the printer that you're using, is it – are there different levels of this? Like, like what you do versus what, I don't know, like if whatever, like the cheapest version of, of, of whatever you use is, is there like a big, big variety? Oh yeah. There's definitely a big variety. It's funny. The printers that I use aren't, aren't crazy expensive. Um, they're a very common desktop printer that you can find that a lot of hobbyists use, um, and, and whatnot. So I think I think anybody can pick it up. It just depends on how determined they are and how um, open they are to learning a new thing. Um, like any new hobby, if you've never done it before, it's not going to be one of those things that you pick up and you're big. You're going to be a master at it. Same as like mobile hunting. Like the first few years I did it, I was like, okay, I think this is a good spot. And it's like, okay, no, this really isn't. And this is why I know it now because I've listened to this this many podcasts, this many people that I I look up to and stuff like that. So with 3D printing, um, anybody can do it. It just depends on uh, how determined they are to figure it out. Um, the the beautiful thing about the day and age that we're in is technology is everywhere. So you can Google whatever you want. I mean, there's so many YouTube channels that are supporting uh, like 3D printing. So um, 
the resources are there. It just depends on how determined you are to take advantage of them and, and learn, learn something new instead of um, just kind of doing what you typically do and uh, do only the things that you know you're good at. Um, so I, I would say anybody can do it. Um, I've seen some people post on like social media pages of like new designs they're working on for 3D printing for the hunting industry. And I'm like, that's cool. Like somebody's trying to do something that's solving an issue in their mind or they're trying to solve an issue that's in their setup. And it's how I started. So it's like, I mean, I get excited because I'm like a lot of guys have messaged me and say, hey, you're part of the reason why I started doing this. And I'm like, OK, that's kind of cool. So sure. Um, h- how big a how big a piece can you can the average, let's say, uh, again, I don't know the sizes of these printers and stuff. Right. But I mean, the average mm-hmm. person, like, let's say you. Right. How big a piece can you like physically print? Oh, um, on my printers, I can print uh, my X, Y and Z about. My typical printers are about nine inches by nine inches by I think 14, but I don't get super high or very tall on my printer just because of the materials that I use. They don't they don't really like to be printed for long periods of time. So quick prints um, are better for my printers. But there's printers out there that like where I work for my day job that you can print. Um, I mean, shoot, probably like a four by four by six foot. Oh so, wow. Yeah, there's, there's, there's the technology is unreal. Um, just depends on what you, what you need to print and what you want to print. So I've seen, um, like a quick little, like, like videos here and there. Like, I mean, I'm talking like little, just mini, like a few seconds at a time kind of thing. And it seems to like grow, grow out of the bottom, right? It kind of rises from the bottom is, or does it, does it print from the bottom to the top? or top down how does that work is it because i think i was watching something on uh something some formula one team was making some some 3d printed something or other and it was literally like rising it's almost like something rising up out of the ocean and just getting bigger you know what i mean but the piece Mm -hmm. was almost like the new stuff quote unquote seemed like it was on the bottom rather than top how does correct how how does that it's it's all layers um so you're printing layer by layer by layer um, so like you print from a base plate is what they call it. So think of a table, a tabletop. Mm-hmm. So you're printing that first layer. Um, so you print that first layer and then when it's done, it, it goes and it extends up and it goes in another layer. So your X and Y, which is, uh, no height involved. There's mm-hmm. a lot of printing that goes on the X and Y, um, in, in the Z axis, that's it increments. Uh, when it's done with that layer, it goes up. And so it's just printing, it's building upon itself. So um, if you've ever listened or watched 3D printing stuff, which maybe you don't because you're normal, unlike me, um, <laughs> it, it, it all depends. Your print will fail or succeed based off of your first layer. So you need to have a good foundation layer or you're, or you're just going to uh, struggle through that part. So that's that's one of the biggest hiccups, I think, when people start 3D printing is not getting a good uh, first layer, not understanding what a good first layer is. And uh, it just so basically this thing just just melts uh, for lack of a better word. It it plastic welds, right? I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. it injects it, it squirts uh, a layer of a plastic and it, and it cools at a certain rate or, or, or injects at a certain rate. And it's it's just kind of, you know, grow, grows from there, basically, like layer by layer. Is there um, is there any machining or finishing work that you have to do once, at least to your products, once once they're done? Um, no, well, like I have some cleaning that takes place, 
So it kind of makes sure we take uh, like support material out. And then I print like a, they call it like a brim. Um, that's just like a few extra uh, layers on the outside of the part to help adhere to the print bed. Um, mm. Like I like I mentioned before, some of the materials that I use are a little bit more difficult to print with compared to like that one that I was mentioned, like PLA. Um, so they require a few extra things that you have to do to the parts post and pre. Um, so that's, that's pretty much what I do. Um, it is like, I have to trim off some, uh, support material, like I mentioned. So like we print, in, when you look at a 3d printer it prints in layers, so it prints upwards. If you have like an overhang, it has to print something below that, that you're going to remove later on to be able to print that overhang. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I got you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's pretty neat, man. Uh, yeah, may, may, maybe I'm after after this conversation, I'm gonna go check out some videos on you because because uh, <laughs> I I think it's it's very it, it's very cool just having no um, exposure to it before. Really, I mean, I know it's done. I know it's not magic, but just kind of seeing the I haven't really actually like seen the process, um, you know, and and get kind of into the details. So that's why I was I was asking you all this stuff. But that's that, mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. I, I like that kind of stuff. So, um, okay, so. I guess uh, so. We've talked about the products. Oh, I I kind of want to talk to you about like what's your setup then? What what are you going to be heading into the woods with um, for your mobile setup? Uh, what what kind of um, uh, I, I guess like overall hunting setup kind of thing? But what products are are you going to use that you make that that you find uh, you know are going to bring value to you in your mm -hmm. setup? Yeah. So. I think I have three setups. I have my traditional saddle setup, which is a saddle climbing sticks platform. And so for that saddle, um, I have three different saddles I'm going to play around with this year. And I'll, uh, by the end of the season, I'll determine which one works best for me. So um, I have like the Latitude Method 2, and then I use a uh, Transformer saddle by Overwatch Outdoors. I really like that one a ton. I love the two panel saddles. Um, and then I use a dryad um, hammock style saddle. Um, so those are my three saddles I would say I'm using. Um, and then with that, I use uh, like the Predator platform and then my climbing sticks will be the tethered one sticks. Um, so the products that I use are like, I have little clips that go on the tethered one sticks to tame uh, the am steel rope that's on them. It basically is a little clip that goes on there with a bungee cord and it just, you can bundle all that rope into one spot and then clip over um, the bungee cord um, so it's you don't have to wrap them around your sticks because uh, my mobile hunting setup I always threw my cam buckle straps or my Amstel daisy chains in my pocket I didn't like them on my stick because I didn't want to have to fumble around and rotate and spin my sticks around so mm -hmm. that's that's kind of why I you I designed the rope tamers I have them for the one sticks or like one inch um, tubing style sticks so I have those, I have um, these little clips that replace the need to use the pins on the one sticks. They're called stick stack stoves clips, um, figure eighters. And then I use my gear hanger with uh, the swivel or pivot style bow hanger that I designed way back in the day. So I think that's primarily my mobile hunting setup. And then I'll use like a predator hanger hook um, that goes on the back of my saddle that the predator uh, platform will just basically drop into and then lock into place using gravity. Um, so that's, I think that's everything for my saddle setup. Um, the other one I have is like my one sticking setup, which we kind of already talked about a little bit of that stuff, but like those tether assist hooks, I'll use those for climbing. I'll still use my gear hanger because I like it not being uh, a 
completely attached, but I'll use the tether assist hooks for like hanging like a rangefinder or binoculars or something real quick um, that can go on there. Um, but for one sticking, there's there's so many different designs that I have um, that aren't released yet for that. So I have like a clip that goes on my tether uh, or my rappel line that holds my retrieval rope is what they call it, I believe. Um, that holds that all in a bundle so I don't forget to attach it. It's already attached and I just have to drop it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also use uh, a product that I'm still testing out that clips onto the tether and then allows you to keep tension on the tether as you climb instead of just tension on the tether when you get to climbing a height or your hunting height, if that makes sense. So like we kind of talked a little bit about that, locking your tether down so it doesn't slip. Yeah. Um, I have a product that I've been testing for a while now, a few months, where it actually like grabs the rope and then it allows you to stretch the rope but come back to shape to hold that tension on the rope as you climb because a lot of one sticking i don't know if you one stick or not we never talked about that but um one of the big struggles is when you go through that um the delta quick link is it's it's just slick so that rope just wants to slide right out of it and slide down the tree um so this new product that i've been working on just kind of grabs that rope so it doesn't allow it to slide down like that but it gives it the It gives yeah. it the flexibility of being able to grab the rope, but then allow it to stretch as you use the tether assist hooks to move the rope up the tree. If that makes sense. I, yeah, I, I, I'd be curious to see that. That's uh, mm-hmm. yeah, because because that because that's always a problem too. Um, not a problem, but it's just it's just one of the things you kind of got to get around. Just like we're talking about when you're climbing, you got slack in the rope. You know, you're moving it up, but mm-hmm. you want it to go up easy. But then once it's up easy, you don't want it to slide back down. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and and keep your thumbs out of there. And and uh, yeah. yeah, no, that's uh, right, that's pretty cool. Um, okay, so I, I guess that was kind of a sneak peek a little bit about some of the you know at least one new product you're going to be uh, um, mm-hmm. introducing. So a- anything else you wanted to talk about? Anything else you want to mention? I don't want I kind of wanted to keep it to an hour. I know you're at work and stuff. So, um, anything else you wanted to, that we didn't touch on here? Um, I don't think so. Um, nothing too crazy. I think we hit everything that I know of at least. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so where can, uh, I think I already mentioned before, but, uh, kind of list off all the places where they can get a hold of you. Yeah. So you can reach us, uh, at our website, genesis3dprinting.com. Um, we also have a Facebook page, which is Genesis 3D Printing, an Instagram page, that's Genesis 3D Printing, and then also YouTube page, which um, I think you kind of got the point what that name is. Um, <laughs> so you can reach us on any of those um, and whatnot. So there's so many different ways to communicate, but that's that's probably the best place to kind of catch us. And then we'll use social media to announce new products or kind of tease new products that we're working on um, and whatnot. So I would, I would definitely encourage the listeners to go follow our, our pages and whatnot to kind of stay, stay up to date on new things that we're working through. Well, cool, man. Um, tell you what, stay with me after we, uh, we hang up over here. So, but I do want to thank you for coming on. I appreciate you doing this uh, midday. Um, mm-hmm. I know you're super, super busy, both at work and your, you know, your, your second passion here. So, uh, <laughs> I really appreciate that. So everybody go, um, Go check out uh, Genesis 3D Printing, like all the stuff that he said. If you like uh, this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Super important. Leave a rating. Super, super important. And uh, this episode will probably go up. Uh, it will be in full swing in uh, in hunting season here. Um, it'll go up in about like, two weeks from now. We're recording this on, what, September was it, 13th or something like that. So, I think so. Um, yeah, but uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm guessing – 
you know, I don't know how you are with uh, as far as like shipping times or having, you know, enough product, uh, you know, in supply, that kind of stuff. But um, people are probably want to want to get this stuff you know, sooner than later, you know, so don't don't wait too long because uh, it seems like you're getting busier and busier, which is fantastic to hear. So um, mm-hmm. anyway, with that said, uh, thanks, everybody listening. And I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks.